Welcome to Preaching for the Long Haul, a podcast where we hope to shape a vision for preaching for a lifetime. My name is Solomon Mochpel. And I'm Jake Bauer, and we'll be your hosts. And today, our, the question that we're asking is, is how can preaching be used to shape the culture of a church? But, but Jake, before we even go there, how, how was your last sermon that you preached? Well, that's just so nice of you to ask. We don't always get to ask each other that question, <laughs> do we? How was my last sermon I preached? I preached at youth group two Sundays ago um, on the cost of discipleship, uh, Luke 9, take up, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And my girlfriend told me she thought it was one of my best. I didn't feel like it was one of my best as I was doing it, but I felt the audience engage. I uh, bore a literal cross during the sermon, so I had a giant wooden cross that I brought up to stage and put on my back. Do you guys have one? Yeah. No we way. Do. Yeah, there's nails in the back of it, so if you're not careful, it it will actually you will literally be crucified. Nailed. <laughs> actually nailed. It's so. But it was it was a good it was a fun visual to use, and I think really got students to think about because I just basically talked about they they wouldn't have thought of this metaphorical bear your cross when they heard this they would have thought of being crucified, and so Jesus when he's speaking to them they would think like we need to be crucified for Jesus in order to be, anyways um. Yeah, so all that to say, in, in short, uh, I, I felt underprepared. I, I always have this prayer I say before I preach, where I, I repent and say, Father, I've been underprepared for this sermon. I need your help to minister to this group because yep. my preparation process hasn't been adequate. And um, But I, I think you met us there. I think in reflecting on the sermon, I was doing circles some and was not very clear, but God did use it and I think spoke to the hearts of students. So yeah. Yeah. Jake, is it okay to bring props with you into the sermon? That's a whole other episode. If they're good. <laughs> if they're good props. That's, that's, that's a whole other sermon. Yeah, don't yeah. do it all the time. My 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 go-to like prayer to myself before right before I go up to preach almost every time. I leave, well some, sometimes I don't do youth group and maybe that shows maybe my um flippancy in the youth group space. But I've always been inspired and encouraged by Charles Spurgeon before he would go up to preach would whisper to himself i believe in the holy spirit i believe in the holy spirit like yep so good what was your last sermon like you preached yeah i preached last wednesday at our high school youth group and it was it was awesome i actually i brought only an it outline was awesome i mean it was, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it was no i, I say okay <laughs> i had to <laughs> keep going <laughs> It it was one of those sermons that I preached that the whole time I just felt in relationship with the people that were in front of me. Yeah. And so in that sense, it it felt so good because I felt like in relationship with the people that I was talking to and not just talking to some random crowd of people. And and I brought only I brought only an outline with me that last week and preached we started our new series on discipleship, but we also kicked off the season. Um, and so I kind of casted vision for the, um, our spring of reminding people where a community here built on the person of Jesus and introducing this idea of discipleship. And I mean, half my sermon was 
So why, why should you be a disciple of Jesus? And kind of jumped all over in passages and scriptures. And as I am doing this, I'm like, well, we could talk about so many of these pieces, but. Excellent. Solomon, we're talking about the use of preaching to shape culture in the church today. When we're talking about the culture of the church, what are we talking about? Yeah, when, I think when we're talking about the culture of a space, and maybe even culture at large, but like, if you think about culture of a home or a workplace or in a place like a church, I think what you're thinking about is what's normal. Like, what is normal like in the language that's being used, in the behaviors, in the way people are treating each other, even in the thoughts that are happening inside the minds of the people who are there. Like what, what, and like your space shapes that. Like the things, like the ways that your leaders are, the things that you say, what you do, what the, the activities that you're doing, like whatever you, like whatever is becoming normal whatever is normal like in in a way where people don't even realize this is the water they're swimming in like i think that's that's culture i think in general i don't know if you have other thoughts or pieces that you would add jake yeah i'm doing a i mean just a couple examples that will hopefully bring some concreteness to what you just said because i think you just nailed it is um we the the games we play at youth group former culture uh the the inside jokes that we use at youth group from the stage, from wherever else they, they form a culture, the way that someone feels when they enter into the room, what happens to them? Do they get their name called? Are they ignored? Are they spoken to who speaks to them? Is it the leaders, the prominent people in charge? Is it just their best friends that all shapes yeah. a culture? Do we have a welcoming culture? Do we have an unwelcoming culture? Uh, and specifically to expand it just from youth group, but into church is what, what is the atmosphere of the church feel like? Are, are do people book it out of there as soon as the pre, the sermon is done? Do they hang out in the lobby? Um, what's the coffee like at that church? What, totally. what is, is it, you know, old and, and nasty coffee? Is it like a modern feel in the church? What's the space of the, the church feel like? So I think all of those things contribute to culture and uh, contribute to ultimately how does a person feel about interacting with others in the room? And, and what kind of person does the culture breed? What kind of person does it attract? And what kind of person does it um, encourage to be there? Yeah, no, I think, I think that's great, Jake. Even, even, I think, what are the conversations that people are having after church? Like, is it, uh, like, how about the Broncos? Or, or, like, or we're talking about the Rockies. Or are people immediately reflecting on the sermon? Or people immediately heading off to lunch? Or, I mean, I think, Jake, it makes me even think about the jiu-jitsu gym that we just joined. Oh, yes. And there's, it's, I mean, it's been this new thing. Jake and I have never done this before. And we were just like, you know what? We should join a, ju- a jiu-jitsu gym. And they're some of the most welcoming people that we, that at least for me, it's like, whoa, I, I'm being in a new space. And, I'm, and how often am I in new spaces and in a place where I like know absolutely nothing or the categories and, and the people there know each other, there's community and the leaders, like the people who run this, uh, this gym, are so immediately proactive in in how they interact with us. And something they say over and over and over again is, is take care of each other. Like e- even when you're out in the mat, take care of each other. And I, and I think those kinds of things, like what we experience when we're there is, is a culture that's been shaped 
by by leaders and language and and has been trickled down to where the members of the gym like they do take care of you. I don't know if you have other things to say about that, Jake. No, that's 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 great. Good start. Okay. So when you're wanting to change the culture of your church or your ministry space, and particularly for us in our student ministry space, because we don't, in some ways we get to shape maybe a larger the chunk of the church, but, but we only have a slice in terms of the ministry we hope to oversee. And so particularly our student ministry space, um, it's, a, it's a huge task. So how do you even start to identify, Jake, some of those key pieces that needs to change? Yeah, I, I, I hope to keep this not too limited to youth ministry for those who are listening and aren't in youth ministry, um, but I think this can apply to the wider church. Is One of the first questions to ask about a culture that I've heard is, what is the process for a new person, and what is that like? So someone walks into your church on a Sunday morning. They've never been there before. They've never been to church before even. Let's just widen it to that, and they narrow it, <laughs> and they walk in, and there's, you know, 200 people they've they've never met. What is their experience from start to finish like? Right. As soon as they walk in the building, are they greeted? Are there, are there greeters? Um, dur- during the service, are they utterly alone? Does anyone speak to them? Is churchy language used from the pulpit for them that communicates, oh, this space is only for believers? Uh, what what is the announcements and the welcoming like? Does it assume knowledge of the culture of the church and the events in the church already? Is it, hey, we've got our men's retreat coming up this weekend, or is it starting from ground zero and saying, here's what the men's retreat is, here's why we do it? Um, so I would just say, what is the experience of someone who's never been in that space before, and what are the problems? Because every every culture is going to have them. Every culture is going to have if you walk a new person through a culture and through an atmosphere, you're going to realize, oh, there's some things here that could be better, and let's focus on those problems. What, what would you add? Yeah, I think you're. I think you're hitting some of those key pieces of it. Sometimes you 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 get fully immersed into a culture. So, like say the the culture of your church, where you you almost don't even realize what the experience is like anymore for someone who doesn't know the rules of the culture. And, and, and I think that's one of the pieces of culture is, is culture creates norms. And, and norms function basically as, as these like social rules that, that, no one, that no one maybe necessarily even talks about. And so it's, I think, thinking through the lens of how would someone completely new experience the, these these the things that are normal here, like these these norms that have been created by our culture here in the space. And, and sometimes in church, I don't know if it's always the best thing to think about, okay, if an unbeliever walked through our doors, what, what would it take for them to stay? Because the church isn't necessarily always for targeting the unbeliever um, on a Sunday morning. But I mean, the, so but philosophically that's, contingent upon what your your view of the church is, because that's that's an opinion ultimately, right, which um, I would agree with. Right, but. Mm-hmm. right, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think the way that you're starting to think about, and this is the next question I want to ask you, Jake, is is when you're starting to think about the pieces that need to change. I mean, that's of of your culture. I mean, it's coming from your conviction. Like, hopefully, it's coming from your theology, like from our convictions in Scripture. But but also ultimately, it's coming from our philosophy of ministry. Like because our theology, I mean, our theology and our biblical convictions are being 
like condensed down to this place of like, okay, this is direction that I want to go in ministry. And this is how I want to shape it. This is what I want it to look like. This is what I believe it should be. And, and then those things start to shape. Okay. I want to shape the culture to go this way. Uh, and, and so besides preaching, we'll get there in a second. Like how, how do you think about doing that? Like if there are pieces in your ministry, I mean, I'd be curious even like, like if there are like one or two specific examples of things in the last year that you've seen yet. Yeah. I think in my space, we're like this. I would like us to see us go this way and some things that you think about doing. Yeah. Something I've, I mean, I've really been processing this question and I'll get a little bit uh, centered on my specific context here, but it will expand it beyond that. Um, I, I've been processing how <clears throat> a big thing, my, my culture at my youth group is really strong in the sense that we have a lot of it for the students who are regulars. Right. And there's an environment that's been created that is consistent for them and feels welcoming and they feel like they own it and are a part of it. But one thing I've realized that's done is closed off walls to people who aren't already part of it and made it very hard to include new people. And I would say this, the way this comes out is there's sort of, not sarcastic, that's not the right word, it doesn't have enough depth to it, but there is sort of a comedic culture going on at the youth group I'm part of, Chaos, where you come and even like the game explanations and the rules, there just seems to be this informality to it that people like, where maybe, you know, there's an assumed knowledge of the game we're playing, or there's an assumed humor to the announcements simply because of who I am or because of who's giving the announcements, who that leader is, because everybody knows them. Um, but what I've realized about that is that people who don't know that leader, it's not funny to them immediately or it's not uh, welcoming them immediately. So they feel alienated from the rest of the 30 people who are laughing or are a part of this inside joke and internal system. Um, but the thing I've been wrestling with is in the process, if I start to kill those things, I start to essentially kill the culture for the students who are regulars. Right. Um, if I just said, you know what, we're going to change everything about this environment. We're not going to have any inside jokes. We're not going to have anything that's consistent. We're going to make it where everyone who comes in our doors is treated like they've never been here before. Uh, what I would do to the regulars who are with me every week is make them feel like they're not actually a part of the room or they're not a part of the culture. They're un unvalued. They're unvalued. They're yeah. as valued as someone who never shows up. Yep. And I, I don't think that's helpful either. So, I, I mean, I, I don't know that I'm answering your question right now, but one thing immediately that I'm doing, I'm doing a training this upcoming Sunday for my leaders on insider language because that's one thing I, I immediately think can be changed. Yep. What I mean by that is language that's used every week that's immediately exclusive in right. its um, in its context-based use. One of We have a joke that we make every week at Chaos about the secret stairwell in the church because our church is kind of like a maze. It's full of secret rooms and weird stuff. And we always have a student every week ask, uh, you know, it's the secret staircase that doesn't exist off limits. And it's, it's this joke that's been going on for years since I was a student in yep. this ministry. And I'm going to talk about how some of those things, which are totally inside of language, um, can, can be changed and can be, uh, begin to kind of be weaned out of so that, we don't immediately communicate to people, oh, this environment's already formed and you're going to have to break your way into it to be part of it here. To totally, yeah. Because because the, the strong, like the good positive piece is what I'm hearing is there's a sense of familiarity. Like it's it's familial and it's familiar. And and so people who come, like it's it's comfortable for them and they feel like a sense of belonging there. 
but but I think the piece that I hear you addressing is I, I don't I don't know if we're assuming like I don't know if our culture assumes that new people are going to step into our space, which is what a, a desire is what I'm hearing what you're saying like a desire that we would want to see new people enter into our community and it feels hard like it feels like that's not that's not a part of the culture is kind of yeah. Yeah, and you know, Salman, this podcast is about preaching. I'm curious, what is the role that preaching plays in shaping a culture, if any? How big is the role, and how do you use preaching to shape a culture? Yeah, totally. I, and I, I probably, I'll tell you my journey of the last year, of when, when I first took this job, I was fully convinced that preaching was the primary driver for shaping culture in a church, in a ministry, in a space. And, and because what's said from the pulpit, everybody's hearing it, everybody's being communicated to. And I, I still believe that. And I've, I think I've had to learn how do I shape these supplemental pieces in addition so that when my preaching, when I preach, like the, thing, the other things have been set up for me so that it will land. Um, and so one of the pieces of, an, an example of that is last fall, w- one of the things I would say every week before I would start my sermon, so, so sometime before maybe an announcement or whatever in, the, in my welcome to, to our, uh, our group, is that my, my challenge is let's invite one person, like one unbeliever that you know into our space. Or, or you could share the gospel with them. And, and then in that, Let's introduce ourselves to one new person every, every week. And, and so that was my challenge every week, something outside of the sermon, but that made it so easy for me in my sermons. I, I would latch onto that as piece of my application or as my why. Like, like why, why? Why are we going to be these people? And I would preach on uh, being a family. Like, um, like we, we care for everyone, especially those of the household of God. We share one another's burdens. And we do these things because scripture points us there. And, and so, so I think preaching is showing, is, is, is helping bring people in a direction that you're, you think is more biblically clear, is, is, is going to be better for your group, is going to be honoring to God in, in a way where you're showing them from the scripture. Why? And, and so I think everything else outside of that is supplemental, but I think preaching, you have a place actually in the application. Like, like as you're, like God has a word specifically for my community, my, my, this group of people today, not just, some, not just for the church in general, not just for a random group of people in general, but God in the sermon has a word and is wanting to take us somewhere today. And that I believe that, and I want to preach that way. Jake, um, I, I would be curious, though, in your own preaching, in, you know, being in this role of, like, thinking about shaping, shaping a space, like, how have you viewed your preaching in, in, in doing that? Yeah, I might expand my answer a bit to thinking of the wider church body, because here's some things that immediately played into my mind, um, is the way you preach communicates the kind of people you think are in the audience. And we've kind of touched on that a couple times here. Mm-hmm. But in, cause in youth group, that means one thing. And on a Sunday morning, that means something different. Yes. And 
what I would say are some things to look out for on a Sunday morning is one, how much interest do you assume? Because based on that communicates whether honestly you think people in your congregation grew up in the church or didn't grow up in the church right. and grew up reading the Bible and, and thinking the Bible was important versus didn't. So I'm speaking beyond being seeker sensitive, which is the other model of church that is alternative to what you were proposing earlier for the idea that the Sunday morning is for unbelievers. unbelievers. Yeah, yeah. As much as for believers. Yep. Um, but I, I, cause I'm not saying we should be necessarily just strictly seeker sensitive, but there is a sense where, if I just get up to the pulpit and open my Bible and say, open to, to Luke chapter 2 and mm-hmm. read with me this morning, I'm assuming just immediately, right off the bat, that the people in the congregation love and care about the Bible. And sometimes that's a correct assumption, but I guarantee in a room full of over 100 people, there are probably a percentage of those people who just don't care or they, they aren't convinced of why they should care or they hear the term open the Bible and they immediately think, oh, this isn't about us as a congregation. This And it's, you know, in some ways it's not, but in some ways the goal of preaching is to bring scripture into people's lives and right. to, to bring people to... Uh, experience scripture shaping who they are and, and, and Jesus through the scriptures. And so I would say just a couple of things about preaching shaping the culture is um, how, how much theological language are you using? How, how thick is it? How dense is it? How, what, are, what are words that just come out of you because of your own bias and your own upbringing um, versus, versus ones where you say, this is accessible to anyone? Um, what, what kind of... Uh, introduction are you using? What kind of application are you using? Are you using application and illustrations? One other thing I would say, and we mentioned this a couple episodes ago with John Gardner, is depending on the application and illustrations you're using and you're preaching on a Sunday morning, you are communicating the age level you expect to be in the room. So for example, if I'm incredibly heavy on my explanation, I'm immediately communicating, oh, like, you know, 12 and under in this room, this probably isn't for you or, or 15 and under this probably isn't for you because it, it's highly explanatory. It's the language I'm using is beyond just the logical language, but the, the actual words and verbal verbal language I'm using is complicated or is less accessible to someone who's under 15. And so to communicate that is saying, well, the church is an adult space. Um, and so we can ask, well, that's going to shape the culture. The Sunday morning is going to be a place for adults, and that's the culture of your church is Sunday. And I just don't believe that's true about the church. I think the church is, I think a, a three-year-old is is a part of the church. And so we can just say right off the back, um, what, what is the language you're using? Are you using application and illustrations that are going to be accessible to everyone in the room? One last piece on this is I just heard from one of the pastors here last week. He was telling me, he was like, yeah, one of my good preaching buddies, he was an amazing preacher. He aims for eighth grade. That's his aim every Sunday morning wow. is that he aims for eighth graders and, and says, I, I create my sermon so that an eighth grader could comprehend it and enjoy it and walk away with something. I'm not saying that's the golden rule, but I am saying I think – an assumption we make about adults is they don't need illustration and application and they can just hear dense explanation. But I mean, I think illustration is one of the best ways you can explain a text and apply a text. Totally. Yeah. Jake, one of my other questions as I was hearing you talk is, is how do you wrestle through that tension? Well, of, 
okay, if I do this, then I assume these people aren't in the room. But but also, yeah, these people aren't in the room. <laughs> like, th- this is my group. Like, my, my group is a group of theologically robust old people. And, and they love the Bible. And, and, and so if I start talking to the, the unbeliever in their 20s who's deconstructed, uh, I'm not actually preaching to the people. Uh, how, do, how do you wrestle through that? Yeah, there is a balance there. Here's my piece of wisdom that you can challenge for sure because I'm not convinced it has to be this way. But I would say preach to the culture you want in the room, not the culture that is in the room. And I'm not even saying miss everybody in the room and ignore the people who are consistently there. That's not what I'm saying. I think there's a way you can do both. But the main focus, I would say, is preach the kind of culture you want versus the kind of culture that you have. And what that means is, I I, I think if that means you need to use more illustrations, that can still be effective for the 80-year-old person in the room. So it's not ignoring them, but there's a sense where you're saying, I I also want to create an environment where that 80-year-old person can feel like they can invite an unbeliever, you know, or or can bring their, their neighbor who, if you create a culture that is for Christians or is specifically excluding anyone who didn't grow up in the church, then you're also creating people who aren't going to invite those kind of people. And so you're, you're creating people who are going to say, this feels like it's for me and no one else. And if I brought my neighbor, I would feel like they'd be bored (laughs) or, you know, Mm -hmm. and so I'm not going to bring them. So create the kind of culture. And and that goes beyond just preaching. I would say as well, that's your announcement slot. That's your worship. That's the, you know, the meet and greet time in your church is, how do how am I holistically creating an environment that's like this? But what, what's your response to that? Yeah, I my my question would actually fo- that I would follow up on is yeah how 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 would you think about taking that group of people with you? It, because my my heart immediately is I, I hear you like I want I want to speak and use language in ways that help to create the space I'm wanting to. Uh, like w- wanting to shape and like in the direction I'm wanting to go, but how do I take like how do how do you take your thirty kids that feel like they belong in your space with you so that it's not like all of a sudden they've been like they're not in the room anymore and they don't matter. Yeah, uh, one is a diversity of application. So if I only apply in a way that will account for homeschool kids, which is the majority of my youth group, Right. then I'm going to miss the kids who are not homeschooled. If I only apply in a way that is for public school unbelievers and say, you shouldn't be influenced by your peers at school, or you know, if I right. only apply in that way, I'm going to miss the homeschool kids who are there. So I'd say diversity of application, really intentional with the way I'm doing my application and thinking through it and saying, who are the actual people in my seats who's the person I want to be there that I can say I'm going to prepare for unbelievers in this room so that's one is just better more thought-provoking more deliberate application where some of the points are going to miss some people but everyone feels like they get something and you know that's that's limited not everyone can get something right um that that's one and then the other and I I keep saying this and there's a reason and and here's the clear reason for it is illustrations are ageless. Um, Different illustrations appeal to different ages in different ways. But I would say stories, stories, there's a reason we read stories to our children. Um, Stories touch, uh, again, three-year-olds as much as 
90-year-olds. And that doesn't change about the human existence. The Bible is a story, and I think there's a reason God gives it to us as a story. So one way to just make your preaching immediately more accessible for everybody in the room is to include really, really well-thought-out illustrations and stories. And I think that that goes from good preaching to, oh, this preaching is for me, and I can relate to to this preaching. And you have to be careful telling too many personal stories because then you're going to hit people your own age, you know. Um, Or who have the same background as you. Or who have the same background as you. But even if you start stories, I'll I'll just expand that, stories and illustrations uh, where you're you're using something to say, you're you're creating a likable illustration or an analogy. Um, Those are two ways I immediately would say. Um, Yeah, your response to that, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, no, I, I, and I think I agree. Like the, the people, what, the way that I explain it sometimes when I'm helping some of my leaders as they're thinking about preaching in, in our space and, you know, training them, giving them opportunities to do that is, is who are you talking to in your mind? Like, like who, who is your target audience? And, and typically I have like maybe two groups of people is like, is in my, in my mind, it's like, like the personal ones is like the, the Christians who, aren't like the, the Christians who are really struggling in their faith, struggling to believe like really up. And, and then, and then the person who calls himself a Christian and grew up in the church, but isn't actually a Christian. Like, like the, in, in my mind, in my preaching, I feel myself default there. And, and so it's like learning, okay, is that actually where I want to go? Is that actually who I want to talk to? And then how do I talk to the other people who are sitting in the room and who do I want to be talking to in the room? Um, and, and, and even thinking about those pieces of, and, and as you're doing that, I think there's ways to subtly, I, I think you're getting at this, like there's ways to subtly start to change and be strategic and intentional in ways that you're not just losing the people who are already with you. Yeah. And I will say one of the elements of a culture I want to shape is a culture that loves the Bible. And so when I, I didn't want to slam too hard earlier on this idea of opening the Bible and saying, let's open our Bibles, because that does create a culture as well. Inevitably, that creates a culture which says, oh, this is a church that cares about what Scripture says. I think there are ways to care about what Scripture says from the pulpit and to not assume interest um, that, that are creative. But I will say, one way you can create a culture in your church that loves the Bible is you can be exegetical in your preaching. You're not topical uh, yep. all the time. Yep. If you are topical, it comes from a text, your main point. You're putting people in the Word. You have Bibles in your pulpits accessible to the people every week where if someone comes and they're new, there's a Bible sitting in front of them. You're You're guiding people for how to get to a space in the Bible. You don't just say, open to Matthew chapter 5, but you say, oh, Matthew's the first book in the New Testament. It's in the, the second, you know, third of your Bible, the third, third of your Bible. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's where you find Matthew. It, it, those kind of things where you say, we're people who are in the Bible. We're also, I, I want to train you on your own to love the Bible and to be able to access it. So Yeah, no, that's good. And Jake, here's, here's my last question for you is, is it biblically unfaithful? to preach sermons that speak directly into your context where you're trying to change culture. Why would that be biblically unfaithful? Because if you're seeing, if you're seeing, maybe this way, here's maybe what I, and and I've done some of this. 
I, I have a direction I want to go. Like I want, like I want unbelievers to be in the room. And, and I'm wanting to exhort and normalize that for, for the Christians in the room of like, yeah, like, like it's your job to evangelize. Like, it's your job to care for the lost. Like, it's your job to do this. And so, so I'm like, that, that's the feeling I have even before I start sermon prep. Like, that's like the need, like the, and, and I hope it's a pastoral, like, ob- observation. And, and I'm like, okay, how do I, how do I speak to that in, in whatever sermon I preach next? Does that make more sense? So you're saying if you pull out a text and then you make points that aren't in the text because you're trying to get your culture to go a certain direction or you put a certain emphasis on the text that's not necessarily pulled directly out of it but is contributing to the culture you want to shape mm, it makes it sound really bad but may <laughs> kind of kind of it's, it's like am i wanting to be biblically unfaithful no but but is is i guess is there space in preaching to to prophetically and pastorally speak into your your people even even if you're sitting down you're doing exegesis that wouldn't be your first point right my answer to you is no i don't think it's biblically unfaithful here's two contributing things one is you choose the series that's just right off the bat one way that you're shaping a culture is you're saying to your context is you're saying this is the series we're going to do in my youth group in my church um which immediately says who is my audience what did they need to hear and then you shape your series based off of that. So you're doing that no matter what. Right. Right off the bat, you're saying, oh, I think First Samuel is going to be a good one for us this year because it's all about pride and I'm seeing some of that. Or it's all about, you know, the reign of the Messiah and how it's going to come through David. All that to say, you're choosing a series, so you're already doing that. And then second, in an actual sermon itself, um, you have to be careful, right? You can't have an agenda in your exegesis every time. Right that's strong and that compromises the integrity of a text, but you're naturally going to be going in a direction with your exegesis because you're a biased individual who comes to the text and you can be more or less exegetical. I'm not saying all meaning is dependent on the hearer, but there is a sense where I'd say when you come to a text and you're like, man, my, my youth group, we just aren't evangelistic. We need to be more evangelistic. You said this to me a while ago, your application, you're going to find spaces where you can faithfully apply that to your hearers more often because that's the direction you want to go and when you're preaching a text you can you can bring it faithfully and say hey this is something i'm going to step out for just a second and speak into this room and say this is something i've noticed about our youth group and how we can become more familial or how we can become more more holy this is we're 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 full of unbelievers and we we could use some more holiness or some more sexual purity whatever else Um, so i would say Like, if you're making a point about sexual purity and your text has nothing to do with that, that's where I would go step out. But if you're making a point about sexual purity and your text is about holiness as a whole or something, I think that's a faithful application. What do you think? Yeah, I I mean, it's it's hard because, because I, I, well, one of the things that maybe I felt in myself but coming out of school is almost this, like, I'm going to be theologically sharp. My conviction is the, the word of God changes lives. And so as long as I'm preaching the Bible, then, then lives will be changed and, and, the, and the church will be going in a God-glorifying direction. And, and I think the, the thing I've wrestled through is, is I feel like, okay, am I going soft? Am I going soft because, 
because I have things I want to say. Like I have pieces of like, I, I want my people to hear this and I want them to catch this vision for this direction together. And, 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 I, and I try, I've been wrestling through, how do I not just make this about my subjective, okay, I think this is what would be best for us and so this is what I'm going to say all the time. But in the sermon, because I think that could be eventually become a spiritual abuse, um, or an abuse of my position or my or the the power that's been handed to me. But but also, I I, I just really wonder for the guys who sit there and it's like, you know what? I'm just going to preach Leviticus and trust that God's going to like use the Holy Spirit to to change. And it's like, yes, he he will. And and I just don't always like I I just don't know if you're serving your people the best. If you're just like in like covering your eyes and you're like, I'm just going to randomly pick any book of the Bible and preach it. Yeah. I don't know if you have thoughts. Yeah. I mean, just one scriptural example. When I see Stephen preach his sermon before he gets stoned, he knows his context so well when he preaches that sermon. He preaches to Jews and tells the story of Israel. And then he says to them at the very end, you son, you are sons of your fathers. And, and so if he had preached that sermon to Gentiles, I wouldn't imagine that it probably would have struck them the same way yep. to hear the Jewish history, Israel's history, and then be called sons of those fathers. Right. Um, so I think that there is a way where he's expositional. He, he, he goes back to the Old Testament and just tells the story, the scriptural story of Israel. Right. And then he says, well, wait, this story is for you right now in your context. You yep. are rebelling against the, the Messiah just in the way they rebelled against the prophets. Yeah. So that's just one example I think of off the top of my head that does yeah. it well. Yeah, and this is my, one of my last thoughts. I know we're going long, but 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 it's, I I think there's something that we're, maybe we're just not taught this in school, but I don't feel, like so, sometimes I feel afraid to prophetically speak into my moment. Mm. But if you read preaching of guys who actually made a difference in it throughout history, I mean, like, they're, they're literally, I mean, there's positive and negative examples, and I'd love to do a whole episode on this, but, but churches preached on the Crusades. Or, or not, not even that, but Americans during the Revolutionary War were, were preaching both sides, like, like, through, from Scripture. And it's like, well, it's like, can you do that? Are you allowed to? But it's like, but people have always done it. Like, Civil rights. Right, yeah. Yeah. So, the more, more questions than answers. But Jake, I don't know if you have any other thoughts. Nope. Once again, go get your context, preachers. Shape a culture. Think of your ideas. What is the vision for your culture, and how, how are you going to make your preaching match that? Yeah, and, and I think my, my last word is, is, is your vision of what you want your culture to be biblically rooted? Uh, and because that, that, will, that will drive, I think, almost more than anything else. But Thank you, listeners. You've been listening to Preaching for the Long Haul a podcast where we hope to shape a vision for preaching for a lifetime.